Once Upon a Time, Season 5, Episode 6 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and I'm joined by the guy who just finished checking his magical voicemail. It is the one and only Kurt Clark. Kurt, how are you doing? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> is, it, is this going to be an episode full of Scottish accents? <laughs> you bet your kilt it will be. Oh, boy. Yeah, and, and I like how they easily... At first, I was kind of... I'm sure we'll get into this, but I was like, oh, it's nice that they have them in three very distinct styles of dress so we can see exactly where each of the three clans are standing. Um, but, you know, they, they do have different uh, tartan plaids, I guess, for different clans. But, no, it was... Uh, we asked for our Merida, and we got our Merida. <laughs> yeah, so this is... It's, it's interesting, because this is... Uh, they brought in Merida through utilizing bell which is not unfamiliar to us right because that was exactly what happened almost verbatim last season when bell and uh and anna had their own sort of flashback adventure so it's almost like we're seeing a very similar story play out with a completely different set of characters yeah bell is our window into some of the tertiary characters <laughs> and i and you know what i will say overall with this episode I, I i mean i loved all the stuff that was going on in storybrook with gold and bell and merida but i part of me i had to kind of hold back when it came to the flashback stuff because i'm like i'm enjoying this but at the same time if we're playing along the same line as we did with anna we know that all this character development we get for merida we're gonna lose her in like five weeks anyway so it's kind of all for naught. Uh, so as, as great as, as Belle is this sort of window into the tertiary characters, as you say, it's a little fleeting because I, I don't know, I'm of the mindset right now that Merida probably is not going to become a main character. And so it's sort of like, well, you're, you're, you're basically writing a filler episode to give us all this information about a character that we're not going to see when we come back in the spring. Yeah, I mean, we saw that when she was imprisoned along with Lancelot, we said, OK, no, we're going to get more of Merida at some point. I think we might kind of be done with her. I mean, you know, it's, they've parted ways with her in the Camelot in Enchanted Realm. And in the modern realm, she's got her heart back. I mean, other than the fact that she's kind of stuck in Storybrooke, um, unless she, you know, helps Team Charming in some way. I, I, I'm not sure what uh, the role of Merida is going forward. They, they could probably find one, but mm -hmm. I'd be fine if she just kind of drifted to the wayside. <laughs> Yeah, something tells me, I think, I agree that I think Merida is done in the flashback storyline. I mean, that's the thing you, we definitely talked before about how we wanted to see, you know, either Merida's backstory in general or what she did in between when Emma almost killed her but didn't and when she ended up in the dungeons. And we saw both of those this episode. Granted, it was very expository, but we did hear about it. I would say we're going to see more of her in Storybrooke. I think now that she has her heart back, I think she's going to become like a main force against emma since emma she obviously holds a grudge against emma for taking her heart out not once but twice at this point so i think that like she might run off to, into the woods for now but i bet in like three four episodes time she's gonna come back somehow either the big bad is gonna use her in some sort of way or she'll come back to fight with other heroes against emma so now if she just gets her brains and her courage she can go up against zelina <laughs> that's very true well you really only need water to take care of zelina right if the mythology holds <laughs> yeah that's true that's true i wonder if uh if well, you know, she came back from that before, and uh, I'm sure I'm hoping, you know, as a mother to be, I'm hoping that she is actually getting plenty of fluids. So yeah, um, and, and we we got the answer to the where's Zelina question too. So a lot of uh, a lot of A's being <laughs> yeah Q's being aid, I should say, on yes. this episode of Once Upon a Time. Exactly. So let's start off with our flashback here because this is another episode that had copious amounts of flashbacks, and I will say off the bat, Kurt, uh, as someone who had not seen Brave. 
there was a lot of stuff that corresponded to the movie here, the plot of the film and the characters. Did you like get all of it? Did, would do you think it would have you would have enjoyed it more had you seen the film? No. <laughs> all right <laughs> um well let me put it this way i don't feel like i missed out by not having seen the movie brave mm-hmm. um i i got uh i got plenty of our fiery ginger yeah yeah well i think when we get to some of the the clans later there might be that, some like blanks i could probably fill in for you and, and that, to be honest that was the one thing i was curious about is like in terms of the three leaders of the clans the was it i can even it was, uh, it was Macintosh, McGuffin, M- McGuffin, and then the third one I can't remember. Ding, Dingwall. Yeah, I, and I, I'm I'm wondering, you know, if but the thing I did wonder is like, did the leaders of those clans play prominently in the films, and then did they actually kind of portray them somewhat like they were portrayed in the films? I was because there was one, there's one of the three leaders of the clans had a strange look to him. I was wondering if they were trying to copy the the uh, the cartoon film, but uh, other than that, well, I was fine. Well, that's the thing, um, and not to jump too far ahead, but I'm sure we can talk about it now. Is that I mean, if you look up these three guys as the way they were shown and animated in brave they look very cartoony i mean macintosh here is like this he's the guy with the blue uh war paint he's actually he seemed like the more outspoken of the three is like the bro yeah the bro but he's like super like hunky and beefy in this in the movie he's like voiced by craig ferguson and he's like this personification of like an emaciated lion he's got like oh. this mane of black hair and he's like super skinny and super mangy um the other two kind of look the same i mean dingwall has no neck uh he has just rolls of like neck fat so it's hard to like really bring in someone to do that and dingwall was the guy who had like the the bright white hair that kind of yeah. went everywhere that was like um, a, that was a very strange distinctive look for me again not having seen the movie and i wondered if ding if uh was that dingwall was the last that was one? dingwall yeah. yeah i wondered if that was trying to mirror a look from something but it was it was like yeah uh like in terms of people from a region often having a cohesive you know, singular look. If you kind of looked across those three clans of people, uh, they, they were all over the board in terms of body type, hair color. Uh, it, it was, you know, Bill, it was just, it, it was strange. Yeah. And uh, to answer your question about what role they play in the film, basically they're, they sort of serve as like plot points in the beginning in that they all, are clans with the the Dunlock clan, which is uh, sort of what Meredith's family is, and they all bring their sons forward in the beginning of the movie to say, like, okay, we're going to petition Meredith's hand in marriage. You have to marry one of our sons so that our clans may be joined and that we'll take rule of the kingdom. And the sons are all duds, and that spurs Meredith off on her own journey of, you know, I don't want to be married, sort of like a Princess Jasmine type of thing. But uh, other than that, I mean, they they do, like, have moments here and there, and I guess they're sort of like the comic characters of the movie brave isn't really a funny movie i guess these guys are the funniest but it definitely does not translate well here considering the fact that two of them don't even talk macintosh takes all the lines in this episode yeah like like i said it it, i i got what i needed to uh i did not feel there was a communication gap not having seen brave yeah um so let's go let's rewind a little bit and let's go to the dungeons where we have our jailbreak and this seemed a, this seemed pretty early again i'm feeling i'm saying it every week but this this show is really moving along in the fact that we saw they went to the jails two episodes ago i thought mm-hmm. that we would have spent at least like three or four episodes down there before they decided mm-hmm. to spree everybody but i guess with merlin in charge and back in power now he's just going to take everyone out in his path he's a master over time and space as we've seen and uh, that includes apparently uh, the 
the acceleration of time in terms of carrying the plot forward. Although I do think that two episodes ago I said, I predict that we will get the Merida plot uh, filed away within two episodes. Yeah. Uh, and not filed away, but we will learn more of the backstory within within two to three episodes, I think. And and boom, you know, it's it's moving along. Well, as much as you might say Merlin is a master of time and space, Kurt, there's a, apparently one thing that gets in his way, which is, you know, if his iOS isn't updated in terms of magic, because those bars apparently <laughs> had a magic on him that he didn't know about. But Bell was very quickly there to solve that problem. Yeah, he uh, he was a tree when the latest update was put through all the wands in the land. <laughs> yeah, which is, I guess, a concept that we don't really know about either. I mean, you have to assume with with you know, new potions and spells being made and curses being flung about that. I guess there are sort of waves where, you know, someone who practices old magic might not know about newer spells, but I guess we've never really dealt with it on the show where someone says like, well, I don't know about that spell because it's past my time. Yeah. I mean, the way I got it was, you know, they weren't just mad. They weren't just standard iron bars. They were enchanted against magic. So his, you know, he he didn't realize that when he cast the first spell and then, you know, bell happens to be there and it's like, well, you know what? actually, these were enchanted against magic, so when we tried this other anti-magic spell that you may not be familiar with, it's yeah. a lot of st- it's a lot of study and keeping up on the, on the times. Yeah, I mean, she Bella has become like she has morphed immensely from when we first saw her. Like, which is good. I'm glad she fell out of like the damsel in distress role that she kind of took in the first couple seasons, but now she's like the ever knowing information source of like every single thing that's going on and every convenient plot point that can come about. She's the Siri of Storybrooke. Yeah, she really is. I mean, and this is this was like Merlin basically saying like, "Oh Siri, uh, what's Snapchat?" And then you know, it's it's or it's like the equivalent of like a grandfather asking their grandchild like, "How do I tweet something?" And the grandchild says, "Oh no, I'll do this for you. Here you go." I don't understand Backchat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, that's looking for Backchat. Yes, uh, in your area, uh, but. So they they released Lancelot and Merle and uh, and Bell. I feel like we're gonna get we're gonna see a little more of Lancelot. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But uh, for now, we concentrate on Merida since it is her episode, and she's very hesitant to leave because she they took her wisp apparently. Um, but this is where she kind of starts to form this bond with Bell, and we see them kind of walking through the woods here. And Merida starts her expository stuff by talking about how apparently after she left everyone and chased after that wisp, it led her to the something called the Ivory Sea, where she had to take a boat. But the boat she happened to hop uh, belonged to Arthur, uh, which I, I question about slightly, considering that isn't, you know, Camelot the Kingdom. It's, it's a poor town that's built on lies, basically. I don't know if, how Arthur could afford a boat, but... Well, it could have been just a rowboat. I mean... <laughs> that's true <laughs> I, I mean it's not he's not we're not talking necessarily like you know a 200 foot yacht here i mean it's just a, a boat is a it's like it's still a vehicle <laughs> i mean that's uh, but imagine like i mean i guess it proves how bad of an arthur a leader arthur is if he says like all right you guards guard that rowboat in the middle of the dock <laughs> yeah. well i mean a couple of things are like leading into that like one thing just rewinding slightly is that lancelot recognizes merlin what this says to me is because we had talked previously that when we saw Arthur engaging with Merlin when he was young, Merlin was just a tree. And now mm-hmm. Merlin was just a tree again. And it was kind of, in, but Lancelot recognizes Merlin. So I'm still kind of wondering, you know, what was up with young, sorry, young Arthur and the tree? Yeah. Um, if, so there had to be some point in between there where, where Merlin wasn't a tree. And we don't really have much information on that. So Lancelot recognizes him. The, the other thing, you know, uh, Merida starts to say, you know, you know, how'd you end up here? It's a long, long story. Uh, 
it really wasn't that long of a story. No, uh, no, it took up a grand total of like a minute of screen right. time to, to talk about it. Right. And then, you know, and Merlin basically says, you don't want to follow the whips. Those will only get you killed. Get, get, those will only get you killed. But I guarantee that we'll find a way to rescue your brothers. And this actually takes me to a question that Becca asked us on Twitter saying, how long did it take David Hook and Merlin to realize Belle was gone? And yeah. it didn't hit me till just now that Merlin was Merlin's guarantee to Merida that we would find a way to rescue your brothers. Was that him again, looking forward in time to understand that, you know, Belle is going to help out with this. And that way, you know, when Belle does go missing, Merlin's like, don't worry about it. She's actually, you know, doing this with, with Merida. Yeah. I, I had that question too. And it, like, that came up to me actually at the end of the episode when Belle's rowing back and I'm like, wait a minute, she's been gone for like at least a day at this point. Yeah. Last time they saw her, they were just walking through the woods. They should be like freaked out or something. And I'm, I'm wondering if maybe next week or in the coming weeks, we'll see like the other side of that. If we'll see Lancelot and hook and Arthur and Merlin walking through the woods and what they face. But that is a little strange yeah. if they, if they didn't like, if it was NBD that they, that she ended up being lost slash kidnapped for well, a day. But well, that's, why, um, that, that's why I think that, that Merlin reassured Merida because he knew that bell was going to help her because he can see through time. Uh, and I think that's why, you know, so that's why I'm guessing it actually was no big deal because he kind of could tell everybody where she's at. I am that that's a good theory. I I might not buy into it just because I don't know. I don't know. We, we've, we've seen, you know, Arthur is definitely, I mean, uh, Merlin is definitely, he's a soothsayer. He sees into the future. But when he said that to her, that came off to me more as, don't worry, I'll help you get your brothers rather than, oh, this is going to happen later on and you will get your brothers back. It seemed less to me as a prediction. Maybe it's because Merida is not a seven-year-old child, whereas I feel like that's how Merlin makes all of his predictions nowadays. <laughs> but uh, I can I can understand where you're coming from. I might not buy into it completely, though. That's fine. So... As Merida is uh, d- decides to distract Belle with the old "oh, I hear a noise over there" method, and then knocking her out with a rock, uh, she wakes up in a rowboat, which might have been the rowboat that she stole from Arthur. At this point, we're not sure, um, but this time Belle is her wisp, and it seems like Merida wants to utilize Belle's magical knowledge, and she more more exposition here. Uh, even though I think we fu- we heard about this kind of in episode one, just a recap that the. Uh, clans were pissed that Merida didn't want to marry any of them after her father died. So she, they basically kidnapped her brothers for ransom. Yeah. And it seems to win over bell actually pretty easily when she explains things. But yeah, I, I thought the only thing I think I had issue with this entire episode was the whole, I, you know, you could have asked, well, that's not my style. That sort of kind of dismissing. Of yeah. It. Though but, I do like I do like her statement like I'm a I'm a shoot first ask questions later type of person because I think that is I think we had a hard time defining who Merida was in the first five episodes and I think if we have one kind of sentence to indicate her character style from the first six episodes in total I think that's that is that and we'll see it in this episode too where she doesn't really come up with a plan to go after Belle she just starts going in there wildly and shooting things she's not really a tactful person uh, which I, I mean I'm, I'm happy for at least some characterization there rather than being like kind of a blase portrait of somebody that just decided to throw in there because they were a, a fun Pixar character Belle's going to think her way out of a situation and Merritt is going to act her way out of a situation yeah, so we have we have some brawn, we have some brains. Uh, I guess they're both beauties. So <laughs> yeah, we'll they give can, them that. Yeah, so there's no there's no third tribe in that uh, survivor yeah. season we're we're casting. But Merida takes Belle to the. So this is this is the witch's cottage from Brave. 
uh, Kurt. So this is where Merida went in the movie. This is where the witch came up with this, like, she made this spell that created this cake that Merida gave to her mother that turned her into a bear. Uh, so I'm assuming that's the reason why Merida, where Merida decided to go there. Cause she said, this is like a magical safe haven. Um, actually, interestingly, um, there is like a magical voicemail in brave as well. I, I didn't make the connection until just now. <laughs> and you know, I like, I like Bell. So, well, what if the witch is home? So we'll, we'll just be quick. <laughs> um, and I thought I actually saw somebody move inside the house when we heard stand we got a view of the outside of the house. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. but uh, and so are we to believe then that um, Merida saw Bell assist Merlin with the removal of the bars in the prison and just figure that, okay, here's somebody that knows their way around magic. I can't do this myself. So she, she, she kind of needed Bell to assist with the spell in the cauldron. Yeah. So, I mean, as much as I say, Merida is a, uh, shoot first, ask questions later type of person. I think she did go in having the plan of I'm going to transform into this bear and take out all the clan leaders. And so to do that, she she knew she couldn't mix the potion on her own. So that's why she decided to bring Belle along. So again, in, even though she's thinking, it's a very short sighted way of thinking. But uh, I know she probably needed the magical resource. And when she saw Belle, you know, work uh, Merlin's iPhone. She decided to say, like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring her along. She knows what she's doing. But she didn't think to cast the bear spell until she kind of happened upon that scroll on the table in the witch's cauldron. I mean, you know, Bell basically says uh, that you know we will save them from this fate, and then that 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 idea of the word fate for some reason gives Brave, sorry, gives Merida uh, an idea, and she she seemed to kind of come up with the idea of the uh, transformation potion on the spot. It's, I, I didn't get the yeah, impression. No, that, Go ahead. Yeah, that, that, no, that's right. That, that's now that I think about that, that is true. Um, but I think also fate is probably spurs her memory because she's talks about, because I think the witch, I believe in the movie talked about like changing her fate because she went to her complaining about how her mother okay. was going to make her marry someone. And that's when she made the thing that turned her into the bear. So okay. probably was a jog down memory lane uh but yeah i agree with you i i, t- I totally forgot about that that she yeah. sort of had this come to moment in the in the witch's hut then i guess sort she, of she probably to, had to use still she probably still had to use bell then to to use the cauldron to see yeah. what was up with her brothers i mean she didn't know that her, I mean, here's the other thing like she sees that her brothers are kind of you know we're kind of like bound and you know the 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 head of the I can't the Macintosh clan or the uh, mm-hmm. is basically announcing that, you know, if Merida doesn't give up her crown, we will, you know, by, then we'll kill her brothers at, at day's end to punish them for their treachery. It's like, he doesn't know they're being watched. So how does he propose to let Merida know that this is the situation <laughs> and this is the deal? Yeah. I guess if he thinks he yells loudly enough, yeah, everyone's yeah. sort of nearby that they'll be able to hear it. Word um, words, word, word will travel. Yes, they'll hear it in the mountains, in the glens. Uh, But yeah, I actually, so I'll retcon my statement a little bit and I'll say maybe Merida didn't have the idea specifically about the bear, but maybe she just had the general idea of like, all right, I'm going to use magic somehow. And I know only know one person that knows how to use magic. And it's this person I just saw. (laughs) And I'm not going to try to kidnap Merlin. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because he's, he's, uh, he's got a little PTSD about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So as uh you know and also we got to see so in the movie uh the the triplets are all young boys they're like they're like maybe like three or four year old boys and they're super cute but they don't speak at all so they're also like kind of comic (laughs) characters here they're (laughs) neither cute nor speaking (laughs) well they're like first of all they look like the weasley triplets they did Uh, uh second of all they i'm pretty sure this this action takes place probably like 10 years after 
uh, Brave happens, seeing how like they've aged. You know, Merida's no longer a teenager. She looks, she looks like a woman <laughs> but, in her 20s. But have they been uh, fighting over the kingdom and the ruling of the clans for 10 years with no, like, just, like, no solution? I mean, I'm, I, I guess it depends on when the dad died. Um, okay. Was he alive it, in the movie? She was, yeah. They they were both both parents were alive oh, okay. in the movie. Surprisingly, uh, it's a Disney movie, so I'm very surprised at <laughs> no, that. No orphans in this one. <laughs> no, no orf- no orphans at all. Uh, mm. Lots of children and parents altogether. Oh, wow. But very surprising and broke broke a lot of boundaries. But uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. So I think so. You know, four, three or four year old boys that don't talk. It's funny. It makes sense. Like teenage boys are like 14 or 15 that don't have any lines to say are like a little creepy oh, we'll talk yeah. later about like when they're freed and yes. they just sort of like slump over to her and hug yes. her i'm like oh this is <laughs> this is this is weird to watch yeah okay yes we will definitely talk to that <laughs> uh but meanwhile merida's doing some target practice a la robin hood slash she also does this in the movie where she shoots the, the she splits the arrow in the center of the target um, and this is where we get, you know, some more exposition specifically about her relationship with her father. Um, and Merida also talks a little bit about yet another element of the movie. Uh, she talks about Mordu, which, uh, was basically like this story about how, uh, a king was able to change his fate, uh, through using magic, but Bell, and this will be like the, you know, this will be Belle giving a pep talk is basically should be the alternate title to this episode because Belle's whole MO this episode is I'm mean, no matter who I talk to, I'm gonna convince them to believe in themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it isn't the most soundly strategic thing to do at the time. Yeah, exactly. Like that's we'll talk a little bit later about the placebo, but that's very very short sighted on her part. Horrible way to teach a lesson. Exactly. Uh so Merida and Belle, they end up you know, they sneak into the camp and they they see the brothers who are they're like tied up like Mexican firing squad style, like they're tied to three posts, blindfolded, which I'm sure is horrifying. And then we get, of course, more exposition from Merida. Though I really like this this story where she actually talks about the night that her father died, about how like you know someone someone else a, a knight came to attack her father and she was supposed to shoot an arrow and kill him but she missed and so her father died and so she sort of blames herself for it and has lost all of her confidence in herself and um and here's the thing is like you know we talked again a couple episodes ago about about merida and i said you know what we're going to get we still will need an episode on the background or the history or what happened with merida i thought we would be seeing it I didn't think it would be so much her telling us. <laughs> a lot did. of telling, not a lot of showing. I Ex- agree with that. Exactly. Yeah, it's and I agree. I don't know how to feel about that because I I feel like a story like that, as much as it is nice to see, you know, the actress's face kind of fall when she tells the story and see how it emotionally affects her and informs her character today. I feel like it's something we could very easily see in like a two minute flashback scene to be like, uh, you know, Demore, uh, Demock blah 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 years before uh it's something they could maybe they spend all their production budget on uh building that cave underneath emma's house i'm not sure but yeah it's something that is it's a little as much as i like the story it is a little strange that they did not just show what happened maybe she's trying to dethrone henry as the author (laughs) that's true uh she wants to be the new storyteller or maybe 
uh maybe it's a lie who knows <laughs> yeah she's all del- it's all delusional like yeah her brothers all have like her supposed quote-unquote brothers all have black hair and are like a lot taller than her <laughs> yeah exactly merida turns out to be the big bad she's conning them all so that she could build her own dumak over camelot over storybrook yeah yeah that'd be awesome <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so Merida talks about, you know, the clan's lost faith in her apparently after she failed to save her father's life and Belle's like, no, you could do this. You got it. And so, uh, meanwhile, we get some, we get some monologuing here, Kurt, from the head of Macintosh, Mr. You know, Khal Drogo, basically. Ish. Uh, but, <laughs> ish. I mean, he has the war pain. He has the buff chest. He has the ability to yell into the, the mountains around him. Um, but so we see what what Merida tried to wanted Bell to make, which is a a clear potion, uh, and we find out later that she you know she assumes it's going to transform her into a bear. But Bell, trying to teach a lesson, decided to switch it out with. Uh, just plain water because she she knows she can do it and she believes in her. <laughs> I would have been so pissed off. <laughs> I would be, I'm, I, you know, Belle is super lucky that Merida didn't like. She, Belle, I mean, Merida just like trash talked a little, right? She said like, "You're gonna oh, yeah. you're gonna watch out for what's gonna happen to you," and then nothing happened. Like, imagine if she had like ran into a volley of oh. arrows, being like, "Oh, I'm just gonna transform into a bear and they'll bounce right off me." This is the once upon a time equivalent of making and giving someone a fake idol. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. It's it's the equivalent of Bob Crowley yep. giving Randy Randy yeah, Randy the the idol just because like they were allies and they had she had no reason to but she wanted to make good TV and I guess I guess it was good TV. I'm not sure. I'd rather I would rather have seen the bear transformation, but we'll get that later in the episode. Yeah. Um. But Bella tries to you know smooth things over by making a point that the the people won't follow you if you use magic. So face your fear and face them with your skills. Um. And so we get. You know, Merida is able to prove her skills in one instance. Uh, so all the leaders decide, like, ah, screw this. You don't matter. We're going to fire arrows at your brothers. But Merida is able to luckily take all three arrows out with one shot. And so everyone is like, everyone goes gaga over this. And they immediately swear their loyalty back to her. Yeah. Amazing, given that all of the three people who fired the arrows were very different heights. <laughs> yeah. And like, and, that- I, and, I don't, and I don't mean to be myth busting this episode, but I, that was like, mm. Mm. <laughs> we'll have to go to the build team on that one. Yeah, exactly. Oh wait, they're fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they tested out on Buster, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get the get the ballistics gel in here to see how much the arrows would pierce the brothers' yeah. heads. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then, I guess this proves like how uh, feeble the loyalties are of these people to begin with. That they're like, oh, okay, we don't like Merida anymore. Great, we'll go with these guys. Oh, Merida did something cool. Great, we're with her now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and even then, eventually, the clan leaders, clan leaders are actually forced to throw down their swords because they they are basically threatened by the other guys to be like, okay, I guess we won't attack her. We're not we're not retaliating anymore. Okay, I guess for some reason we're we're in an alliance with you again. This is no longer a thing. Okay, just checking. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so Merida is queen again. Yeah. Um. And I guess Belle also had a le- took a lesson here too somehow that she's not going to give up. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't. I'm not. I'm not buying that Belle learned a lesson here too. <laughs> no. And and yeah, not at all. Because <laughs> um, she, she she'll continue to do this. Um, and yeah, and then don't and don't forget the brothers get released. <laughs> 
Yeah, the bro- oh yeah, the brothers get released and we get like the most awkward hug since uh, Voldemort hugs Draco Malfoy in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. It's it's a cre- it's, again, it was a creepy ginger sandwich. That's all I'm gonna say. Well, yeah, it's a lot with a lot to catch up. It's because they're, it's just because they can't speak to me because they're sort of like lumbered over. There's no urgency in any of them. I'm sure they just put out a casting call for redheaded triplets and grab the the first pa- first uh, group of people they saw because like there was no acting involved with those kids whatsoever. No, and, they, and you're right. They kind of just like lumbered their way over it's like they kind of like didn't even like move their arms when they walked and i I, yeah it was it was creepy (laughs) it was creepy but i I think that's the last we're gonna see of them thankfully unless they turn out to be ghosts or something let let us hope let us hope (laughs) um do we want to talk about the merlin emma scene while it's in the flashback or would you rather save that for later on um you know what i think it's i think it's safe to say right now i mean it kind of confirms some things that we already knew to be completely honest um yeah and actually answer my question is partway through the episode i would i was thinking back to to lancelot and hook and charming and, and i was like where were they where were they headed actually like i couldn't remember if like they had like something that they were going to try to do or like they had like another step where merlin's like okay after merlin was released from the tree he's like now we must go seek out blah 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 and i couldn't remember what that was but we do find out nope they were just going to Granny's. And um, apparently that is where like the uh, dark one, Emma, is was going to meet them. Apparently this is kind of where we decided to regroup. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know why necessarily. I guess it's their stronghold for now because the way they left things with Arthur were not so good. Yeah. And I guess their plan is to sort of regroup and come up with a plan as to now that they have Merlin free. That's that was the the goal of their trip. Right now they need to figure out how are we going to get back there? Um, which I'm assuming is going to get figured out in the next few episodes. But I guess I guess th- that would be the next plan if I was them. Um, though, again, we only saw like three of them in there. So I don't know what the rest of them were doing. Uh, they were in the back, make reheating some lasagna. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, Violet wasn't able to eat any. So <laughs> uh, they were. Yeah, they were all watching Harold and Maude. Oh, there Harry's we go. Phone. <laughs> but so Marlon, Merlin admires uh, an Apollo bar that happens to be sitting around and we get some some memories here and Emma sort of vocalizes it for us that yes Merlin was the usher in the first scene of the first episode of this season who uh, advised young Emma not to steal the Apollo bar and told her you know you will have the chance to pull Excalibur from the so- sword uh, stone do not and he gives her the same words again and it's just another just i guess yeah. just like a nice little check-in to be like oh yeah remember emma was this way before and now she's this way and we need to figure out what happened in the six weeks in between yeah i was unsure if i liked the replay of what we saw in episode one like was typically when that happens i'm like you know don't don't insult my intelligence like we remember but you know i guess you know some people can check in later and I, I ultimately yeah. I kind of I guess came away from that saying eh, it was okay to do. I they, they didn't yeah. do it. They did. They didn't do it too much during the entire episode. So I, I, I would. Yeah. I mean, I would say like once upon a time loved its loyal fan base, but I feel like they try to cater to the lowest um, common denominator as much as possible. I can't remember if they showed the usher scene even in the previously on as well. Like they really wanted people to remember that. And I mean, if you're not like podcasting about it or listening yeah. to podcasts, if you're a casual viewer of Once Upon a Time, um, I guess it makes sense, right? Because they would have seen this like a month and a half ago and might not have remembered it but i guess they they, they just wanted to make sure that everyone remembered the the uh the prophecy that merlin gave to her that's fair yeah so let's jump into present day storybook here and let's let's mainly focus on bell and golds uh which i i would say i think after this episode kurt i realized they might be two of my favorite characters or at least their relationship is by far my favorite aspect of this show as a constant um 
I'm not going to co-sign that for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, but I'm keeping it open to consideration. I know there, there was a lot of um, the, the, the devolution of gold into a, a self-described kind of simpering coward didn't really, wasn't really something I enjoyed a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And yet he, he does redeem himself in this episode, but um I yeah I I'm not sure how where if I like uh just how things played out but let's let's talk about it. Yeah, well at least at least we only get like one episode of this cuz I do agree with you that like the whimpering I can't do this Mr. Gold I would have gotten really tired of after like an, even another episode of doing it. So I'm glad we put an end to it in that like the triumphant hero Mr. Gold has emerged. But um simpering Mr. Gold is tied up in the woods. I guess Merida sort of set up a tent for him where he's <laughs> kept prisoner until he learns how to be a hero and he is able to after Merida was taunting him with the chipped teacup so much, it ended up all being for naught as he ends up smashing the cup to break his rope so that he can escape. Yeah. And I think we even talked a little bit last week about like, is there actually any magic in that cup? Is it just something like a memory? And I think it, it was kind of confirmed. No, it didn't really hold, it just hold, it held like a special place in their memories and wasn't necessarily anything magical that he was destroying. So you know, he was being practical. I even I even went back and like kind of paused the wide angle shot of him sawing through his ropes, looking around. Is there anything else he could have used to have done that? And I, yeah. didn't, and I didn't really see anything. So, you know what? Good, good industriousness on the part of gold. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, I, I think it actually bringing the teacup is something interesting right at the top of the show, because I mean, go, the, the teacup does represent like, I think the what Mr. Gold was sort of in Storybrooke and like specifically his relationship with Belle. So him breaking it is kind of a symbol that he's reverted back to what it was before the teacup when he was this uh, basic coward. But meanwhile, after he escapes, Merida brings Emma to the, uh, the camp in the woods and Gold is gone. And so Emma says, all right, here's the plan. Even though, you know, Merida outlined it last episode, you are going to basically hunt Belle down so that Gold will be pressured into becoming a hero. Right. And, it's funny, we're supposed to be also thinking that, you know, Merit is doing all of these things because, you know, uh, Dark Swan is controlling her heart. But, you know, then previously in the other timeline, we just saw her cold cock, you know, bell and drag her off to help her. Um, yeah. So she's she's got some of this in her, but maybe just not yeah. to the extent that Emma, Emma uh, is, 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 is pushing her. I continue to question this logic of like the hero has to be Mr. Gold because like I think Belle showed more than enough heroic qualities this episode. If they convinced her to pull the sword from the stone, wouldn't she be a viable candidate as well? But there was there was something that um, that Emma said when you know when she first took Rumpelstiltskin in that he was a blank slate and that mm-hmm. she was basic. And I think that's what she's working on is that there's there's kind of too much. To, to to make a true hero, she I think she just needed to work with a blank slate, and um, you know, and you know, even though he does kind of self proclaim that he is a coward, you know, because he like kind of came out of that coma, or he's like the you know came out of the coma and came out of being the dark one. Um, I think there's something to that, perhaps, in terms of uh, he's the, the 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 freshest in terms of being able to sculpt into what she needs. Without, Kurt, without all the baggage, the, without all the baggage. Yeah, without any emotional baggage. Kurt, this is the first time we see the library this season, I think. Yeah, and it's pretty empty. <laughs> yeah, our, our, all, our all-purpose uh, rec center is basically empty, though we do see the elevator as well, so I don't know where Gold 
came from since I'm pretty sure the elevator was on like the main <laughs> floor. Well, she, but maybe he just wanted to make a dramatic entrance later, later on. Like I had in my notes is like, how did he actually get there? And she, you know, when he's sorry, when, when bell, I think is saying, no, oh, you can easily get across the street to the pawn shop. It's right there. I mean, she says, after all, you made your way through the woods and then you made your way through the dwarven mines. So the dwarven mines are connect, must be connected to the, uh, the the caverns underneath oh, yeah, the library. Yeah, they yeah they are. Yeah. So I think she, he made his way into the the dwarven mines and then to the library through there. Um, but I was I through the mines of Moria. Oh, yes. Oh boy. <laughs> and and at the first, I was actually wondering if it was him or if it was Emma trying to trick Bell, like in the guise of mm-hmm. of Rumpelstiltskin. Um, yeah, we haven't we haven't seen Emma do that yet. No, isn't that one of like the dark ones? Like one of their top skills is like they're able to completely impersonate somebody else. You know, I think so. Although I can't place my finger on a specific point where that that happened. I'm, rem- dark, I'm remembering. Yeah, I'm remembering when. Oh, well, I guess yeah, because Gull was still the dark was, one last season. Remember, remember when he like impersonated Hook that one time, um, or he impersonated uh, yeah. somebody in, uh, to get to get some information out of somebody. I'm more used to Cora and Regina doing it with their magic. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's funny we talk about the dark one. You think back to all the, the to season one and some of season two, Regina and and all of Cora. Uh, they tend to do just like much more drastically evil things. Uh, than the dark one ever did as at least in, in recent seasons. Um, yeah. And it's almost like the, the, the dark one will manipulate things. But even like when, when gold was in Storybrooke and we, we talked about this before, but when gold was in Storybrooke, just in the guise of the pawn shop owner, but everybody knew he was a dark one. He never just did evil stuff. He never really just killed somebody unless it was like very purposeful. And, but it wasn't like on a whim. Whereas we, you know, he, I don't know if he would have turned, sneezy into a statue um Mm -hmm. but again she's kind of new to the power so i don't know yeah and i think the the evil of the dark one lies in its like immense amount of power and i think uh, like you said i think people just take to it different ways like i think gold took to to, in a very nonchalant way that he was able to utilize his power to broker deals with people um i think it is i think like i always find it weird when they say like oh one of the characteristics of the dark one is that they're looking to make a deal because i don't think that's the case i think uh i think gold as the dark one like like to make deals I because thought, he was able to broker his power for it i don't think it's like a every dark one is great at making deals i thought the same thing although i think the i, I think that uh yolo or whatever the uh pre, the previous dark one so zoso i like i think yeah zoso um uh i think at one point he does make a deal with rumpelstiltskin um I thought like in the year. Yeah. That's, well, that's where he got, that's where he got like, that's when he got the, his, that's when he got the title passed on. Right. It was yeah. like, he'd help, he'd help gold. I forgot. It's, I think it's like first season, but he helped Rumpelstiltskin do something in exchange for Rumpelstiltskin, like going down to that chamber and killing, uh, the actual dark one, which made him become the dark one as well. So you like kind of tricked him. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I, but I had the same thought is that I took the deal making. I saw that almost more as a, gold thing and maybe then then a necessary part of being the dark one so i actually really like this scene and maybe again it's it's because i'm a i'm a i'm a rump bell uh (laughs) slash enthusiast but i think i really liked you know this is the first time the two of them have like reunited since he came out of the coma and i did like him telling her you know i uh, you know, you you gave me the will to live when I was in the coma, and you you stood by me after everything I did, which is a great statement considering that like he has been pretty horrible the last couple seasons, including now when he doesn't fess up to the lie that like I guess he lied to her before about how he hurt his foot. 
um, which is a small detail. And I we were incorrect last week. I don't believe that uh, somebody hobbled him um, and broke his foot oh, no, he did because it he tried to. He, he did it himself to uh, to avoid the draft, basically yeah, to say did. like I don't want to go out there and get killed. But he told her that I guess he got injured in battle or something because that's the example she keeps going to of him being as a, him being a hero. Yeah. Well, well, cause she said she does say to him in the library. Well, okay. Well, a couple things. Like, first of all, he realizes really quickly that Bell's in trouble. Uh, yeah. that, that's, you know, why, well, why would Emma could find you easily? Um, it's like, Oh, she wanted me to connect with you and she wants us together. And that, Oh, okay. We have to get out of here. Let's go to the pawn shop. He says, you can't go. And it's his leg is a reminder of what he was. But I believe Bell says, you broke your leg so Neil would always have a father. I see a hero and you need to see the hero in you too. So Bell knows at this point that he purposefully broke his leg. I think it's more what we see later on is that he confesses, I didn't do it so that Neil would have a father. I did it because I was scared to go to war. And I saw people dying yeah. in the war. So she knew that he broke his leg purposefully. Yeah, I'm, I would say that actually, speaking back to Gold immediately picking up on Merida and Emma hunting down Bell, these characters have become a lot smarter this season, though. I'll hold some reservation to that because we're going to get to the whole Crimson Crown thing later on in this episode. <laughs> but it seems like in general, everyone like immediately hops onto plans and has suspicions about everything that's going on around them. Yeah, it's they're learning as, as and uh, just as much as we are. <laughs> yeah and we get once again bell's giving a pep talk here about how you know i see the hero in you and you you need to see it too um and she's able to convince gold to, to actually leave the library mm -hmm. and go back to the shop they make uh, it. to find yeah to, they made it to find something to help but it's just in the nick of time now i will say you know Meredith shoots through she shoots through the window and she shoots through a couple she, things when we saw last week kurt she could have very easily just opened the door with an arrow <laughs> she hates that door she, I mean, yeah. she she shot through the window in the door. She has shot the doorknob off the door and like broken to to get in. Like I, I didn't see. I think the word "needlessly" is in my notes in terms of yeah. how she is approaching entering the pawn shop. Uh, we don't know that the door was locked. You know, it. it, it yeah, you, know, so it, try, you could have tried the knob. Yeah, I mean, it's a shades of of Morgan in The Walking Dead. Just try the door. <laughs> I and I um. Yeah, I I mean I hope they have a good insurance agent. I don't know who the insurance uh, salesman in Storybrooke is. It's probably like Simple Simon the Pieman. <laughs> uh but it's also an insurance agent. But uh yeah, so Merida storms in and she basically says like, "Okay, now, you know, Bell's fate is in Gold's hands." And so they try to hold themselves up in the back room, but Merida nearly takes out Bell's head with that one arrow. Basic cable once upon a time would have probably left a different result there. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> just just the, she should have died <laughs> Just yeah. in terms in died. terms of the 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 extent to which merida is an amazing shot with an arrow yeah there, there's, she shot four hour arrows through the center of each other yeah uh, and you know concentrically and she's able to miss twice here yeah. i don't i i wonder i mean may do you think it's on purpose or do you think she's really trying to shoot to kill and it's just a horrible shot in these two in these two instances well, you know, we we saw when Emma and and Merida were in the woods. We you know see we see Emma say, "I want you to put an arrow through Bell's heart." Then it cuts to commercial. I think that's when we get the specifics of the deal. Just like Jeff Probst, <laughs> Jeff Probst <laughs> yeah. explains the ins and outs and the actual question. You know, the, the players get to ask questions about the I mean, challenge. Merida can ask Emma as many questions like, about possible. Like, can I can I shoot her after a few times to try and yeah? Like, how do I how do I get into the shop? Like, <laughs> like to be clear though, you really want me to like 
make them think that their life is in danger so that that uh, and you know give them a certain number of times right like don't just kill her right away give give rumple a chance to actually save her emma's like well okay yes let's 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 be clear about what i want i think that'll happen during the commercial break (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i yeah because i still don't think that like i don't i don't know about the idea of killing bell would make Rumple a hero. I mean, it would again. It would make him. And we we talked about this last week too when Merida was using her training techniques at, on on Gold. Like anger and like getting retribution does not make someone a hero. Yeah. But they, but, I mean, I, I I guess we're using Batman logic here. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I feel like like saying, "Oh, I'm getting revenge on you for killing my wife," doesn't say, "Oh, I'm a hero now." Yeah, it's more like I'm guessing the actual off-screen instructions were. Um, put Bell and Rumple into a position where he has to sacrifice himself to save her. Um, and if he, if he's just not going for it, then you know what, killer. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but there <laughs> yeah. needed to be that cat and mouse going on. So yeah, I, that that's how I'm mentally rationalizing the uh, amazing shot with like all of the things that were probably warning shots. If that's the case, then I would totally imagine. And here's your lost reference of the week in the the in Lost. I think it's the called the Shape of Things to Come. When spoiler alert, when Edward Kimi has uh, Ben's daughter Alex, and he's like trying to uh, hold her as a hostage, and Ben just tries to call him out on his BS, but he actually shoots and kills her. <laughs> like I, I I conclude like a very similar set of circumstances would happen here, where he'd be like, "Oh, I'm, oh, Merida, you don't have the guts to kill her," and then she just strings an arrow through her heart, and then gold goes super sane and decides to take out everyone in his path yeah yeah it, but you know he she and and you know, there's a there's a brief fake out there where you know you know shades of uh the, the first jurassic park when the raptors see the kids but it's just a reflection when they when it charges them she sees yeah. the reflection in a mirror and shoots an arrow and um but it's like they're four feet in the other direction, so it really didn't save them a whole lot. Um, well, they're you know, well, Merida's dealing with a clever girl because uh, <laughs> when she breaks into the back room, Bell literally pulls the rug out from under her. Ding ding ding! Uh, match game. <laughs> yes, perfect. The, by the way, the magical voicemail thing I actually play. I actually got the match with Once Upon a Time because I had totally written magical voicemail two seconds before Regina announced it. So I'm glad to see say we're on the same wavelength as the show as well. Yeah, if, if I can't make a make it as your partner on the match game maybe you can get regina to step in for me yeah i'll get i'll get the combination of edward kitsis and adam horowitz onto <laughs> match game with me uh so yeah so bell is able to kind of save the day for the moment by knocking merida out uh and gold pulls goes into a safe and pulls out a mysterious looking pouch and get, puts him in the car and he talks about the next his his new plan which is basically let's drive over the t- the the town line this the powder inside the pouch, I guess, is a like a transformation powder that will and it, undo any effects of them getting turned into trees well, a la Dopey. An anti-transformation powder. So, oh, I guess anti-transformation. Yeah. Or transformation back, maybe. I, th- I, think, uh, I think they were going to... Well, as we see. Uh, but yeah, I think the idea was we, they, doused them out, they doused it over themselves before going across the line and they get saved. And I was like, do they potentially uh, you know, use that on... Use that on, on on dopey once they get across. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. Could you imagine though? They didn't use the potion, and like you see, the police pull a car over, and it's just two trees driving. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Like first, first we see this like ten year old kid driving this car into the diner a few months ago, and now these two trees are driving a car. I don't know what the hell's going on with this town. Yeah, did we know at the time when Dopey got turned into a tree? Did we at all talk about the the parallel between that and Merlin being turned into a tree? 
Yeah, we we did we did for like a couple okay. seconds. Um, since we, I think we talked about just the myth of Merlin ahead of time, and we had talked yeah. about how he and a lot of legends he had gotten turned into a yeah. tree. So I guess, yeah, I guess you know Emma's just a a very literary uh, aficionado that she was able to make a curse that said, "Oh, isn't it ironic that yeah. if you try to disobey my curse and cross the timeline, you suffer the same fate as Merlin?" But she's contributing to the deforestation issues in New England. That's very true. In terms lots of, of lots of. It. Lots of oxygen being made. Uh, she should. She needs to go down to. Uh, she needs to put that the curse over like Cupertino, California, so that if forest fires break out, they'll be able to repopulate the forest very quickly. <laughs> that just brings to mind a lot of burning people, though, because if they're alternative trees. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. For all we know, it yeah. could be do it after the fire. Do it after the fires go out. <laughs> yeah exactly don't do it while the fire still spread or else it's gonna be like genocide uh though it's the dark one so i don't know maybe that's maybe that's her mo yeah. but bell me after realizing the plan bell immediately decides she doesn't want to leave and she actually like makes him stop and runs out of the car um and as we talked about before he finally tells her the truth that hey i didn't break my leg to save my son i broke my leg because i was a coward and wanted to save myself and so bell finally has had enough and she decides to walk off and we assumingly we think gold drives forward though i don't know about you kurt but i did not believe it for a second that he was going to come back for her uh, you didn't believe he you thought he was gone forever <laughs> no i thought he was going to come back oh, oh, yeah, okay. so, <laughs> no that's this we know oh, the show yeah. way too well to think like oh yeah. yeah and then mr gold drives over the town line and then he's not seen again yeah, bye uh yeah i know like she's you know running never made anyone a hero i was like you know i think jesse owens and usain bolt would disagree with that um <laughs> But uh, Bell doesn't know about the Olympics at this point. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, she's basically sorry. I, I just, I just can't. And see ya. <laughs> yeah, but it turns out Merida advised her that she probably should have actually headed out with him. As she said, like, well, I'm gonna have to do this now. And we see what happens when you drink a potion that's correct and not made out of water to try to teach a lesson. And she turns into a giant CGI bear. We haven't. We, I feel like we haven't seen CGI in a couple of episodes, Kurt. So it's a it's a welcome return. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back, CGI. Yeah. Did you did you enjoy this entire bear chase sequence? Um, I you know, I I like seeing Belle run with a bear behind. Uh, her. Um, <laughs> wah, wah, sorry. Um. <laughs> I it's one of those things where she probably would have died a lot sooner. But um, again, you know, at this point, I didn't know if this was like the last straw. It's like, OK, gold is either gold's gone and I'm just I just need to kill Bell right now per Emma's instructions because uh, we don't want that loose end sticking around or yeah, I'll play with her a little bit more. Maybe maybe, you know, Rumpelstiltskin will show up and. Um, but I th- she could have easily caught her, I think, faster than she caught up to her. Yeah, something tells me that I think after she pers- after uh, Hook and Bell, I oh, know Gold and Bell drove away. I have a feeling Merida went back to Emma. Emma appeared next to her and said, "Like, well, that didn't work. I now command you to take the potion and then kill Bell." I think for this, it, this was like a last straw of like, let me tie up any loose ends. Though I, I do agree that. I mean, maybe Merida was trying to get used to being a bear. I believe it's the first time she had been transformed because, yeah, she definitely could have pursued her mm. a lot quicker. That's true. Maybe she was just not used to the how the how the bear body handled. Yeah, I can't run on. I don't know how to run on all fours. Oh no! Uh, I was kind of <laughs> hoping that I thought it'd be kind of funny in terms of uh, solving the issue if, if they weren't in the middle of the woods at the time. Uh, you know that 
you know, Rumpelstiltskin kind of drives out of nowhere and just plows into the bear with his car. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, again, that would have been basic cable once upon a time True. if he just like drove out of nowhere, pinned the bear against the tree, tree though. <laughs> that would definitely have been the last we would have seen a Merida because yes. I don't think even a bear could survive getting hit uh, by, a, by a full force car. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it is Rumpel to the rescue here as he sort of distracts, he fights the bear, but actually just distracts it, gets hit, and then happens to, on a whim, throw that anti-transformation powder into the bear's mouth, and it turns back into Merida. I thought that was a clever save. I didn't connect that as a possible solution, and unlike the Sands of, the all-powerful Sands of Avalon, uh, (laughs) the all-purpose Sands of Avalon, this to (laughs) me seemed a much more logical connection of problem a and solution b going together mm-hmm. yeah i i'm i'm still i'm a little i'm a little trepidatious because part of me does think that gold did it out of nowhere i don't know if it was part of his big oh, plan i don't know if it was either i i, I, mean, I mean i thought I mean, it was a happy coincidence that this would actually that this uh was the situation he found himself in but i did see logic in terms of this is the problem oh lucky for me i have this thing that will solve it so do you, would you looking at this on a blank piece of paper, is this a heroic move? What gold had done? And is it, is it a heroic move worthy of him? Like being the one to pull the sword from the stone? I, you know, I, I kind of used the, the phrase self-sacrifice earlier on. And the fact that he came back for her, that he basically put his own life in danger. Um, and then maybe even the icing on the heroic cake is that he found a way to salvage the situation without actually killing Merida, um, even mm-hmm. though he didn't really have any choice. But he he I mean, he but he he found a way to uh, save the damsel in distress uh, without violence uh, and and but putting himself in major danger and to do so. I, I think it does qualify at least in in my. Uh, I say in my book it does, but it's more of a pamphlet than a book. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I call it I call it a slight win in the hero column. But I guess if we're going along with like your blank slate theory yeah. about how he just needs like a slight like, yeah. plus in the hero column and he'll be officially deemed a hero, I guess that's it's the nudge is all he needs. Yeah, it's, enough, um, it's enough past the tipping point for it to work in terms of the rules of Excalibur. I say go for yeah. it, pull that sword. <laughs> I mean, he might as well. I mean, what if, if not, he'll just go out, do something heroic again. Then, you know, he'll give like, you know, $20 to the March of Dimes. Then he'll come back, pull, keep pulling the sword until he's he's reached the heroic sat- uh, uh, saturation point. He can pull the sword out. <laughs> all these all these little acts that, uh, that that eventually add up to one big heroic act. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking more good karma than being a hero <laughs> exactly. at this point. I guess I'm equating the two. Uh, so they they head down to the cave and they sort of recap Gold's exploits here. But Gold decides, you know, now he's got a little bit of a, his swagger back now that he's a quote-unquote hero. And he says, well, I know you can't resist making a deal because as we talked about before, apparently that's a thing. And he says, if you... If I do this for you, you have to give Merida her heart back and let her know where her brothers are. <laughs> and Emma is surprisingly uh, easy to deal with, and she does that. She does exactly that. Yeah, and well, she's she kind of like, and your mother, your brothers are safe and sound by your mother's side, and just kind of leaves it at that. And we don't really know what exactly yeah. that means. Um, you know, that's a little maybe of a <laughs> in their grave, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and you know, we 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 said before that at least you know. The deal making thing, I also I always associate that more with gold than with the nature of the dark one. But you know, he he does kind of you know call it out. He he states it is a dark one thing. But we also know if that's the case, 
that the dark one never really loses on a deal or, or, or even more rarely somebody other than a dark one coming out ahead on the deal. So the fact that she, yeah. uh, the fact that she acquiesced to it or went along with it makes me also wonder, you know, what aren't we seeing? I mean, she did say that your brothers are safe and I believe she said they're safe and sound by your mother's side, which makes me think that they're, you know, I didn't even think about the grave option and you kind of said it jokingly, but you know, I thought when you said it, it was like, actually that could very well be, but I think she says they're safe and sound, which, and you know, dark ones can't lie supposedly. Um, so there's, yeah. there's, there might, there's something else going on here. Potentially. I, I was kind of amused slash annoyed by the fact that he's kind of haggling that the, the gold is kind of haggling with Emma and then Merida jumps in and, and I want to know where my brothers are. You're, and, and I was kind of waiting for, for gold to say, you know what? Let, let, let the adults talk. Oh, <laughs> uh, you actually, on second thought, you can, you can actually kill her. That's yeah. okay. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, uh, maybe they're safe and sound in the ground. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, and I guess I might, we might have to go back and undo my, my good karma, random acts of kindness theory here with the sword, because I, for, I'd forgotten as we saw with Sir Kay and Emma reminds us here that if gold pulls the sword from the stone and he uh, tries to pull yeah. the sword and he is not worthy, he's immediately going to be vaporized. Yeah. But I think that's also, I mean, that's also though the fact that he's willing to do, he's, he's also, this is like an additional heroic act on the the bargaining of Merida, like someone he's not even romantically interested in. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, we don't know that. <laughs> okay, fair <laughs> point. <laughs> um, the but the the fact that he says, you know what, you know, I should be able to just pull it out now, but I will I will do so only if you give her her heart back. Another potentially heroic act, not just because he's kind of you know bargaining with the dark one but the fact that he's putting his life on the line to pull out the sword that he doesn't know isn't going to vaporize him so yeah i i put him i'd put him definitely above sir k because i remember sir k specifically pulled the sword out with the purpose of like using it for power and to rule and i i feel like arthur actually kind of was the same way but because gold was pulling the sword out for like more of a less of a self-serving reason and more of a charitable reason that probably nudged him a little more towards the hero column still yeah so gold does it he pulls the sword from the stone i I forget if we made a prediction of of whether the sword would come out in like three episodes since we saw it but again season's moving along fast it did but gold is once again showing off his new swagger by saying like all right you have the sword now but you do realize that in making me a hero you probably just made me your worst enemy okay bye yeah it's like you know emma's there's plenty of heroes in this town but you know gold kind of counters with yeah but none of them are me um yeah you know one one point of order it's like you, before you throw the uh, excalibur at the at emma's feet given that it is kind of linked to the dark one dagger maybe see if you could control her using excalibur i would have just maybe given that like a little shot before i actually threw the uh gave her gave her the sword yeah it would be interesting to see like since they say it's half the sword, but as we said yeah. before, it definitely looks like two thirds of the sword. Like, is there more of a controlling power than somehow the dagger had? Like, what what can you do with the dark one and this long part of the sword? And we, I guess, we'll never. Maybe we'll find that out if someone gets their hand on the other part of the sword. But it's not going to be anytime soon because Gold immediately says, "Like, okay, here's your part of the deal. Here's the sword." Yeah, and uh, we we are kind of set up for the complete twist in the first few seasons where you know. You know, we're kind of supposed to be supposedly, maybe potentially rooting for gold as the hero and uh, Emma as the villain, which is, you know, complete 180 from what we're used to. And I love that. And I love the fact that it seems like it's now 
Gold and Regina versus Emma. I mean, between this scene and you know yeah. the one we had last week with Emma with Regina finally finally being fed up with what Emma was doing and their talk that they had in episode two. I think it's really cool to see this huge reversal from season one, where now it seems like the two big enemies are on the good side and they're facing off against our main former hero, who's now become a villain. Right, and then you get the team charming kind of stuck in the middle in terms of knowing what they need to do is what's right by which I mean Hook and uh, David and Mary Margaret, like they, they're kind of really in a not fun position. <laughs> well, let's, let's move on to them. It's a perfect segue uh, because the Crimson Crown is back in action. I was, I was actually, I had him in my notes before even the episode started of like, wait a minute, now that Merlin's back, what are they going to do with the Crimson Crown? Though I'd forgotten that, oh, they still need to find out where Merlin is in Storybrooke in, in our in our world and so they realize oh yeah let's just utilize the Crimson Crown though apparently it comes with this uh, sort of rule to it that we didn't know about before which is that only people who Merlin had communicated with previously can talk to him. They have to have been previously kind of chosen by Merlin was kind of the the, the phrase they, they use and, and I keep forgetting that in this timeline they do not realize that Arthur is a douche. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll realize very, very soon. Uh, but it's sort of like the equivalent of like, you know, only a person who only like you, you get their number and that person only has the numbers of the people they've contacted. You know, there's no like, ran, there's no way to reach them. There's no like telemarketers that are able to call them. The only way you can contact them is through somebody who has their number beforehand. Yeah. So, uh, so they say like, oh yeah, yeah, that's gotta be Arthur, right? So David runs off to get his bro and this is actually this, this is more at the beginning of the episode where Bella's like, oh, we realize that Rumple is running around and that he might be dead. Right. And everyone's like, oh, uh, don't care. I want to look at this mushroom. And that's when Bella goes off and does her own yeah. stuff well, when her life's been put in danger. Well, she seems to be also think like they're kind of looking for a solution uh, in, in Merlin. But she seems to, I thought, kind of position it as, well, why don't we ask Rumple how to help Emma? And I mean, that's, and I was unsure kind of where her logic was going for the, for that, you know, and, and the Charmings and Regina and Hook still seem to not trust Rumpelstiltskin, even though everybody, he's no longer the dark one. And he was basically in the same position uh, that Emma's in now. So he would potentially have some knowledge about it. But I, it seemed to me that, that Bell was almost saying, you know, Rumpelstiltskin can kind of help. Maybe we should, you know, seek him out. But everyone kind of blew that off. Yeah, it seems like they're they're just really centrically focused on we need to save Emma. And I think they don't really care about what happened to Gold, even though they just found out last episode that it appears that Gold is her prisoner. I think Belle might have just been trying to shoehorn in her own motives here by being like, oh, we can find my husband yeah, at the sure. same time. Because I don't I don't I, I agree with you. I don't really get the logic there of like, oh, yeah, Rumpa will know how to deal with Emma because I mean for all she knows he might completely forget about how to be a dark one exactly uh which i actually am you know as much as we talked about simpering gold this episode i think we're very lucky that we didn't get like amnesiac gold yeah uh where he's like oh i don't remember who you are and i don't remember what a dark one is so i'm happy we at least didn't get that part yeah so let's let's bring in arthur and guinevere here uh and let's bring in a not so smart moment for our heroes as arthur says oh yeah, well, I can use it, but uh, I have to be alone in the room since that's the way Merlin talked to me. And everyone says, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, we can leave the room. Yeah, we, we do. Well, you know, we can't take any chances. Let's let's leave him alone. <laughs> 
it's, it's like, and I mean no offense to our Mormon listeners out there, but it totally reminds me of like Joseph Smith being like, oh yeah, there are these plates out there in the, in the, I found them in my backyard. Yeah. I, but I, you can't read them though. Only I can read them. It's like, it reeks like a lot of suspicion going on there. A lot of question marks being raised. Yeah. Um, but he, he pulls it out again. He's he, it's, it's like Tony in the bag of tricks. I, this, Arthur manages to convince them. Very charismatic, very charismatic. This Arthur. Yeah, well, I mean, he got very unlucky that toadstools apparently work when charred, but he, I mean, he also is pretty stupid here, too, and just in, to quote Brad Culpepper, throw it in the fire, throw it in the fire, because, <laughs> I mean, like, like, that's evidence. This thing is not going to immediately burst into flames. Like, it's very clear that, that toadstool was completely whole when they found it a few minutes later. Like, he needed to dispose of the evidence in some way. And, and he, he, he did need to kind of stick around down there to at least pretend that he was talking to Merlin. At least make sure the thing is burning. And if not, like, hide it somewhere in the crypt or bring it out with you. Like, yeah. you know. Um, but, yeah, the, the one way that you cannot destroy the Crimson Crown in the most obvious place uh, ends up foiling him. Well, actually, maybe Emma should then build uh, the forest in Cupertino, California out of <laughs> the Crimson Crowns. It'll be a mushroom forest so that go. they never burn. There we go. Yeah, it's uh, it's just it was just a bad choice made by both parties. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Arthur tries to put on his best performance here when he walks out and he says, like, you know, I mean, he doesn't really give details. Also, he remains purposely vague by just saying, oh, well, it didn't work. Uh, so the heroes are very are very bummed about it, but they're immediately suspicious about it, which is good. That bought me that bought back some favor with me that they're they able to figure out like, oh wait, maybe Arthur was lying to us. You still there? Hello. You still there? Yep, I hear you. Oh. Hey, so I said I had an internet connection. Sorry about that. Oh, it's okay. Um, you can you can feel free to jump on. Uh, you can feel free to. I just finished talking about how I, they bought favor with me by immediately catching on to Arthur. So you can just jump in whenever when you want to. Okay. Um, should we do the clap thing again? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, that's okay. okay. We're, we're all synced up, so we're okay. Okay. Yeah, it's it's you know Regina is to her to her you know credit is flummoxed by the entire thing and and you know david has his you know eagle eyes on and 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 notices something in the the the, the coal so they i'd say this round goes to team charming as opposed to team camelot yeah because I'll, I'll i will i agree because although they were initially stupid by leaving him alone to begin with i mean they are able to a immediately come on and realize that he's not who he is and b they benefited from the fact that apparently magical toadstools don't burn and they're able to figure out what's going on with Merlin at least so as as while they may have stumbled I think they've they finished in a, a full speed sprint here um, and I, I wonder what this means too with our relations with Arthur moving forward because now that the now that the cat's out of the bag that he's not to be trusted I wonder what they're going to do with him now are they going to try to mislead him are they going to try to imprison him somewhere yeah or do you even like at some point you know, communications have kind of broken down with Emma a little bit, but do you, you know, do you ask her if, you know, Arthur was acting like that? We, you know, we don't remember what happened in Camelot. Was Arthur acting like this then? Is is he responsible? Can we can reconcile anything? Uh, but at least mm-hmm. they're in a position where Arthur and Guinevere don't know that they know, which gives them a slight upper hand. <laughs> this reeks of like a friend season yeah. to me. <laughs> 
they don't know that we know that we know they know that we know that they they want to kill us. Right. Uh, so well, actually, I'll jump to this uh, Emma and Zelina stuff very quickly yeah. before we go back to the final scene of the episode. So we got our where Zelina answered. She's just hanging out in the mm-hmm. insane asylum, uh, reading what to expect when you're expecting. Uh, weird little book drop there. I don't know if they get royalties every time that book is mentioned, but. I guess they made another, what, like $2 there. Uh, but we get Nurse Ratched's back for like a second. And she actually talks, which is interesting. Yeah. And, you know, apparently Zelina does not want to eat her green. She's just, you know, staying away from anything that's green related, uh, given her, her former complexion. But she has some nice green juice. She has a plate full of greens. But no, she wants some onion rings. Would you think, do you think uh, Regina's like paleo? Uh, no. Oh, Regina. Oh, <laughs> Regina. Uh, yeah, which is why she tried to try to get her into like organically produce things. Uh, no, I think maybe she's just thinking of the health of the baby. I wonder. I wonder if they even had paleo. Like, was, is there is there like are there like caveman days back in the in the enchanted forest? I'm not even sure. <laughs> like a Neanderthal version of uh, you know kings and queens, and yeah, I don't I don't know what the prehistoric uh, origins over in the enchanted forest or Camelot or the Southern Moor. Actually, they're all in the Southern Moor right now. That's where you yeah. you've got all the uh, the cavemen. Well, stay tuned for season five B and Once Upon a Time entitled Once Upon a Time BC. Oh, no. Uh, it's, it's the next, the next spinoff. But Emma is looking to uh, get into some trouble. So she warps Zelina to, I don't know if it's her house or just some random house, uh, but she's able to imbibe her with her cravings of onion rings. And she's trying to able to, to bribe her with them to sort of break down and use her. Yeah, she basically, like, what is it that Zelina is the only person who can wield the apprentice's wand without getting hurt. Um, and I, I like Zelina's response about great. And I just can't wait to hear what you're going to offer in exchange to me. Um, yeah. Zelina's really, I don't know if she feels like protected because she's a mom to be, but she's getting kind of lippy with a uh, dark swan. <laughs> yeah. I think Zelina is basically saying, I think Zelina has just taken the attitude of like, I don't care. I mean, she succeeded in her master plan, right? Her master, even though she didn't get back to Oz with her baby like she wanted to, her master plan was, oh, let me have this child so I can have someone that relies completely dependently on me. And she was able to succeed in that. So I think she sort of now has the attitude of like, I'm here, but I really don't care what's going on. And I think she's just having a lot of fun playing with these people now. But the whole I killed Neil ready to kiss and make up part was like, that's that's pushing Emma a bit too far, I think. And I'm surprised that Emma didn't retaliate in some way. That's true. And, Zel- and Zelina saw her turn uh, Sneezy to stone, right? So she knows what she's capable of for someone mm-hmm. who just who just like is a little rude to her accidentally. Yeah. But I guess that's Selena for you. She's uh, she's cocky to a fault. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's nice. She has the point where it's like, hey, well, I have a little one on the way, so I don't want to be involved with all this darkness. And um, and it's also interesting. I think the perspective that, you know, Zelina, other than like, if we don't count Arthur uh, and Guinevere, Zelina is really the only evil person in town at this point. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that Emma sees her as a potential ally uh, and, and is actually trying to, kind of bond in some way with the only other really evil force in, in town. Um, but, you know, Zelina kind of winds things up with like, you need an ally in this town. And the unfortunate thing for you is that I don't actually mind being alone. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting because I mean, it was prophesized to Emma that being the dark one, she would push away everyone she loves, but it seems not only is she pushing away everyone she loves, she's pushing away like everyone she used to hate too. Yeah. It seems like everyone that she's actually going to, except for the people that she forces to do things to like Merida, Nobody is saying, okay, I'll be on your side. And so Emma, through actually attempting to do these things, is pushing people away even more. Yep. 
It's uh, yeah. Which not, I guess I guess well. that's I guess that's the way it, it it works, and that's the way it happens. But I and I did like this thing of like Zelina just flat out saying no to her because I do. I was nervous with having Zelina back this season and Rebecca Mater as a regular that we'd get like a team up and that Zelina would become because that's what we were wary of at the end of last season, right? Was that we were wary after it got revealed that Zelina was Mary and that like Zelina would become the the big bad again. And I, I wasn't sure if we wanted to see that, but so I'm always wary when they see her like interact with a villain because I'm afraid like, okay, now the villain again is Zelina. Why are we doing that when we keep changing villains out? So I'm happy that they at least stray from that path for now. Yeah. So let's, let's jump back to the last scene of the episode here. Uh, when the Crimson Crown finally works, but they sort of see a leap in the logic here when they're like, okay, so we need to find someone who's talked with Merlin, right? Chose, or her, who, chosen by Merlin. Yeah. yeah. Chosen by Merlin. And the apprentice is dead. Which, and do Arthur's we know that though? I, I back up for one second. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was like, wait, he's dead? Like I knew, I thought that maybe he was like, went, went to sleep. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what, that's the, the thing, right? Is that we, I well, it's because we didn't say he was dead on the podcast, so that means that he's dead. Uh, you know, you know, the minute we say that he's dead, he's not dead. Yeah, uh, because uh, yeah, the last thing we saw was him like pass out, but I guess that meant that he was dead. I mean, I'm glad they officially said it, so that it's been like five weeks yeah. since we've seen him. I thought I thought um, he was just kind of spent, and um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had to pause it and actually like I was sad. <laughs> I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, that's they they really didn't give him like a proper sending no. off. I mean, he had those like dramatic final words, but we didn't know they were final words. They thought we thought they were just, you know, things you say before you go to bed. Uh <laughs> some pillow talk, but it turns out that those were like that's more coffin talk they, because they could have just told they could have just told me that the apprentice was like off playing on a nice farm somewhere. They didn't have to like break it to me like this. <laughs> yeah, he's playing with a bunch of other apprentices upstairs. He's very happy. Uh, He's having a great time, but you can never see him. <laughs> so with the apprentice apparently dead and Arthur not willing to cooperate, they realize like Merlin, I guess, technically did choose Henry. And now my mind's a little foggy on how Henry was chosen. He, from what I remember, he just like happened to, was it, the, did the apprentice like he physically it's, pass it off to Henry? Is that right? It, it, technically, that's why I said I wasn't really speaking. Technically the apprentice uh, a proxy of Merlin chose Henry. <laughs> so I, th- yeah. I think that's where I think that that still counts. <laughs> All right. So they bring in Henry, who is actually, you know, recovering from his giant betrayal and breakup last episode is actually a little bit on the mend. Uh, he still is of the mentality of my mom's in the dark swan somewhere. So I need to take her out, which I guess spares of a, us of a few episodes of emo Henry. So I guess that's good though. I'm again, I'm surprised on the quick bounce back of him. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, I, I I thought I actually it happened really fast. Like I thought that maybe we yeah. would see this scene play out in the next episode, but it wasn't even like at the other side of a commercial break. It was we you know we need to find Henry, and then there was just kind of like a jump cut, and then there's Henry. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure. Maybe they jam they had so much jam packed in the next episode. They're like, okay, let's just get because I guess the. I I didn't really I wasn't a really a big fan of this these like you know the cliffhanger quote-unquote of this episode which was that so they they get the crimson crown in and it shows the magical voicemail as we alluded to before which is a message that merlin leaves saying you know if you you know if i leave you this message this means that things have gotten worse and only one person can help me someone named nimaway and then he is presumably like attacked off camera uh, almost like in a paranormal activity way by emma and so that's the big cliffhanger and I, i i agree with you i would have rather like if you put that in like the first third of the episode i'd be i'd be fine with that personally but i i i did like 
and again, I don't want to pull anything trying to pat myself on the back, but the the reference to to Nimue, uh, you know, we've been talking about Nimue at least in Arthurian legend for the past several weeks, um, and I think I even like had, you know the 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 thought that in that Merlin flashback last week where this he's chasing the Dark One, and I thought that the Dark One looked potentially uh, feminine in terms of the mask. Um, I, the fact that Nimue is a character involved in this, uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out and the, how much of my my guesswork in the episodes leading up to this was correct. Well, especially since it seems like we're going to face someone in a very similar mask next episode. So it'll be interesting to see how it all ties in. Uh, I think we have we have just had like a couple question, other questions that were sent to us before we start wrapping things up. Uh, so Becca also wrote to us, so Scotland, Scotland and Camelot are just a short boat's ride apart. What happened to having to use magic to cross worlds? So I guess, yeah, so I mean, we, we know that, you know, Dumok, whatever the, the name, or Duloc, or I'm thinking of Shrek now, whatever the, the kingdom was that Merida came from, and the Enchanted Forest, are, like, are they sort of like very close to each other, considering that Merida was able to get Belle across, you know, into the kingdom fairly quickly. All we know is that the boys were taken across the Ivory Sea into the Southern Moors. The word Scotland is never once uttered in this episode. So I believe this is all part of the Enchanted Forest Kingdom slash Misthaven uh, that's occupied by Frozen and Camelot and the Charmings mm-hmm. and Brave. So if that's the case, then wouldn't these people have much more crossover than you thought? I mean, I know Merida probably knows of Arthur besides getting her, you know, arrested trying to steal his boat. But like, wouldn't you think like the clans would try to cooperate with them or that, you know, the Enchanted Forest people might know about them considering that like, I mean, they're, I feel like, you know, it's, it's like saying, oh yeah, the Canadian government doesn't know anything about what's going on in France. You know, I feel like there are resources where you're able to find that information. It's much closer than that. It's a rowboat ride away. So it's more like the Canadian government not knowing what's going on with Alaska. Um, Yeah, exactly. But again, you know, Camelot's a broken kingdom and we don't know that the, the way that Camelot is ruled, we don't know if Arthur's had any ambition to go look for things beyond like the immediate, uh, you know, range of the castle. I think you know the, those sands of Avalon have a lot to to kind of do with this. Um, in, in terms of at least making that that big shiny castle that's only a model. Um, so I I can kind of rationalize it in terms of uh you know it's separated by a sea and uh yeah you know if if people yeah the, if if all they know of Camelot is it's a bunch of shacks over there and they don't realize that it's now kind of a fake castle, but you know. You know, it's not like Arthur's trying to invade other countries or anything like that. So uh, I think it's just not yet. It's just on the other side of like a large lake. And it's it, it may, maybe they haven't discovered um, uh, naval warfare yet over in the southern moors. Uh, so Country Five Diva asks, do you think we will get Dark Swan doing her own dirty work instead of directly through others? So, I mean, we saw her prominently do this in the past couple episodes with making Merida try to train gold into becoming a hero so now that she has the sword do you think she's going to be doing her own stuff now we commented before about how like aside from the henry stuff she really hasn't done anything that evil do we think now that she has both the dagger and the sword together and is going to try to forge them do you think we're going to see more evil things from her yeah i'm not really sure i mean all we know about the sword is that it will you know the the gold's voice in her head has said that you know that the only thing that's gotten way of the dark one in the past is the love of her family and friends. And you kind of need the complete sword to 
defeat that. Uh, and we don't really know how that ends up getting defeated or like how, how you use it. So we still don't know her, her, the full extent of her plans. Um, I think there's more like that was just kind of a necessity thing where, uh, you know, she's not going to be the one to be able to teach, you know, gold, how to be a hero. She needed someone heroic to do that. Um, so I think there's going to be some things that she'll she'll kind of try to you know pawn off on on minions slash unwitting people, but there's still kind of the big thing she'll take care of herself. So if you out there have any theories as to whether uh, Emma will be up to any personal dastardly deeds coming up now that she has the sword, or if you think that good karma equals heroic deeds, or if you have any theories as to what Hook and Arthur and David were doing in the forest, whether they realized that Belle and Merida were gone, you have a bunch of ways to reach out to us. As always, you can leave comments right here on the Post Show Recaps page. While you do, please subscribe to our Once Upon a Time only feeds at postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review us as well. We always love it as much as we love a great episode of Once Upon a Time. And as always, you can reach out to us via social media, specifically Twitter. Kurt Clark, how can people find you on Twitter? You just told them, at Kurt Clark. <laughs> simple, simple, simple. And I'm a little more complicated. I am at a Mike Bloom type on Twitter. But please let us know what you think of the podcast, any questions you have throughout the week. We're always very responsive and we love talking about this show and all the thoughts that pop up in our heads in the six days in between. And make sure you're subscribed to all the stuff going on on Post Show Recaps. There is so much that I can't even spout it out at the moment. But for now, we're going to wrap things up and we're going to be back next week as we start moving into the back half of this first half season. <laughs> the second, the second to, quarter. Uh, yeah, the second, we're, in, we're in quarter two right now. We've been scoring some points. It's been a, a big uh, a big game for, for Once Upon a Time, this, this, uh, this, I guess, game, I'll say. They've been scoring a lot of points, so let's make sure they have possession of the ball. Let's see if they can keep it in their end zone or I guess in the other end zone. Sports. sports. Uh, but to, because sports. But to, finish the, to finish things off, Kurt, do you have a hashtag for people who have made it this far? Yeah, and even though it's a little bit similar to the one from a couple weeks ago, I really want to go with Creepy Ginger Sandwich. Yes, Creepy Ginger Sandwich. And again, uh, we love we love all of our redheaded listeners out there. And, and we do not believe that Merida and her creepy triplet brothers, uh, their, represent, their, you know, their characters do not represent the the uh, redheaded lifestyle of those of you out there. Yes. So creepy ginger sandwich. If you made it this far, we'll be back doing episode seven next week. And remember, uh, be careful of the water bottle you pick up whenever you're in a witch's hut. You never know what you might drink. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.